0: Good morning again. Yeah, Jamie's not here to say good morning, so thank you for... uh, If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to uh, 1 Peter chapter 5. Uh, We've been working through 1 Peter for a number of months, and we're coming to the, uh, the last chapter of 1 Peter. This morning we'll be looking at 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. And before I read that, let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for uh, your truth. Uh, we thank you for your Holy Spirit who enables us to understand your word and, and to apply it to our lives, to live in light of it in a way that brings you glory and honor and Father, we pray that you would work in us by your Spirit now, that you, would, uh, that you would teach us from your Word, that you would shape us and mold us into the image of your Son, our Savior Jesus. Uh, pour out your Spirit on us to those ends, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First Peter chapter 5, uh, beginning in verse 1. Judging from what we see in the media, uh, what we see in politics, what we see in sports, what we see uh, even in entertainment, we, uh, hu- we do not prize humility in leadership. We prefer uh, braggadocio over modesty, self-exaltation over self-sacrifice, The truth is, sometimes we have a hard time even imagining a humble authority figure, a true servant leader. The saying, uh, power corrupts, is simply assumed as a truism. This is perhaps a a very American or Western way of looking at things, but it also uh, resonates with our experience. Most of us have probably had experiences of Corrupt leadership, right? leaders who were looking out for themselves or or just didn't for the money, leaders who misused their position or abused those under them. And it can easily make us cynical about authority itself, as if authority itself were evil, uh, even if we might say uh, a necessary one. Well, perhaps there is another way. Uh, Jesus presented for us a different model for leadership in Mark chapter 10, where he said, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. We can call uh, Jesus' style of leadership, servant leadership. And I, I don't think, by the way, that it, it's a revision of leadership, but a restoration of what leadership was meant to be all along. And so this morning we're going to look at this concept of servant leadership. And there are uh, three main points. Uh, the, the first and third will be A little bit shorter, you can maybe see from the outline on the back of the bulletin, but the the three main points are the necessity of addressing servant leaders, the shepherding ministry of servant leaders, and the beauty of submission to servant leaders. Uh, So first, the necessity of addressing servant leaders. Uh, You know, I I think because of our uh, maybe democratizing tendencies Uh, Sometimes as Christians we assume that every passage must apply equally well to every individual. Peter has been addressing churches as a whole up to this point, and uh, though even within the body of the letter, uh, sometimes he addressed specific groups, husbands or wives and so on. Uh, But now Peter turns specifically to elders. Chapter 5, verse 1, So I exhort the elders among you. And you might wonder, uh, why this this shift, why this sudden shift? Uh, Does this have anything to do with the rest of the letter? Uh, Or is this a a kind of rabbit trail or or, uh, side note that Peter has for the elders? This letter is, uh, as we've seen, about the suffering of God's people as they live as aliens and strangers and sojourners in what is sometimes a hostile world. And given this context, why does Peter address leaders? And while it's true that uh, leaders are addressed in many letters of the New Testament, and so there was clearly a general need to address leadership in the church, uh, there are two reasons that seem pretty basic here. Uh, First, leadership in times of suffering is hard. Uh, If a a group is rejected, the leadership will likely be more so as the kind of official face, public face of the group. But second, leadership in times of suffering can also be necessary. As as we uh, saw last week, suffering can be disorienting, uh, and having others who can orient you in the midst of that is really important. Now, sometimes that can be just a good friend who comes alongside you in the midst of a difficult time and tries to point the way forward. But sometimes we, we, need, we need an authority figure who can speak into our world to say, this is, this is what God says here. This is what God is doing. It can help us figure out uh, the way forward to give us guidance and direction and encouragement and hope. So Peter addresses elders in the church to say, uh, at least, I know it's hard, uh, but don't give up. What you're doing is important. Persevere in your work. Now we see some of that already in Peter's first words. Uh, First, Peter sympathizes uh, with the elders by calling himself a fellow elder. Uh, He knows what they're going through. He knows their challenges. Uh, He knows their calling. But Peter then adds to that two things. He says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Uh, Peter says that he is a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Now, when he says that, it could actually mean two different things. Uh, It could mean, on the one hand, uh, Peter uh, could be drawing a distinction between himself and these elders. Uh, he, He has something they do not have. First-hand eyewitness testimony uh, to the crucified and risen Jesus. Uh, he saw Jesus. He saw his arrest and his trial. He saw his mockery and his beatings. And that is a, a real and important distinction between the apostles and every leader in the church since. I haven't seen the crucified and risen Jesus. And so my proclamation of the gospel is based on their eyewitness testimony. That's a distinction between Uh, all elders in the church since, and the apostles. But Peter could actually mean something else when he says this. By by witness of the sufferings of Christ, Peter could also mean that by his own suffering, he witnesses to Christ's suffering. Uh, Remember, he just said a few verses earlier that when we suffer for Jesus' sake, we share in the sufferings of Christ. And here uh, he would be adding to that, when we, when we share his suffering, when we are rejected for him, we actually bear witness to his suffering as well. This then would make this statement uh, another aspect of his sympathy for the fellow elders. He's saying, I too have suffered for Jesus' sake. And then the next statement actually makes even more sense. You may remember back in in chapter 4, verse 13, Peter said, But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. Suffering and then glory. Well, here Peter calls himself a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. See, Peter, too, had one hope not the removal of his suffering in the present, but the glory of Christ that would be revealed. He bore witness to Christ's suffering in his body. He looked in hope to Christ's glory that was to come. And so he's saying, I know you're suffering. Uh, that, that leaders uh, are especially targets at times, if not from the world itself, then from the evil one, whom Peter is going to talk about soon. We'll look at that next week. But don't give up, he's saying. Don't give up. Uh, I I know what it's like to suffer for Christ, but I also have the hope in the glory that is to come. Don't give up. So hence the necessity of addressing servant leaders. Right? They too are suffering for Christ's sake, maybe more than others in that time. And they needed to know that their suffering was worth it, that, that it meant something for them to be leaders in the church. And so I, I need to say uh, that, in a sense, this sermon is direct, directed toward the elders of the church. Uh, not meaning to put you guys on the spot, but, but it's directed right toward the elders of this church. Uh, the rest of you get to listen in. Just as Peter's original hearers, he was addressing the elders at this point, but everybody else got to listen in to that. And, of course, you need to know our role as elders and leaders in the church, so that you can encourage and support us in that and respond as God would have you. And of course, we'll get to that. So that's the necessity of addressing servant leaders in the midst of a suffering church. So what about their shepherding ministry? Uh, Point two, the the shepherding ministry of servant leaders. Um, Our our caricature of leadership is often twofold, really. You, You have kind of the domineering dictator on the one hand, and the absentee boss on the other, uh, right? The one is a tyrant always yelling at us to get things right, to turn things in, uh, nitpicking our work, micromanaging the details of our day-to-day. Uh, but the other is passive. Maybe, maybe he hides in his office, or, or maybe she doesn't give any constructive critique at all, or you wish you had a little more direction from them, or maybe you feel like you have to pick up his or her slack, And so you have the dictator on the one hand and the absentee boss on the other. Of course, sometimes we just think, uh, today especially maybe, we think leadership is overrated altogether. Every organization should just be a team, right? A team of co-equals moving ahead. Every person has equal input, equal say, uh, equal authority. Well, the biblical model of leadership, of course, fits none of these molds, Uh, and while Peter... Uh, does specifically address elders here, that is leadership in the church. Uh, much of what he has to say does relate to kind of a broader theology of leadership in general, uh, whether in the church or the family or the state or other kinds of organizations. So uh, even though I'll be speaking about elders, about shepherds and two elders and shepherds, uh, you'll be able to tease out some of the implications for other kinds of leadership. So I want to ask four questions then uh, about the shepherding ministry of servant leaders uh, in the church. Uh, One, what does servant leadership look like? Uh, Two, who are servant leaders to shepherd? Uh, Three, how are servant leaders to shepherd? And four, why are servant leaders to shepherd? So first, what does it look like? Uh, it, you know, if you, if you Google styles of leadership, you will get buried in a seemingly endless supply of leadership wisdom. And I don't doubt that some of that is probably really helpful, uh, and yet Peter's exhortation is very simple. Uh, 1 Peter 5, 2, he says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Uh, the elders, the leaders in the church are shepherds having oversight. Uh, and consider what this says about their leadership. What does it mean to shepherd? Uh, well, shepherds care for the sheep. Uh, they, they know their sheep by name, Jesus says. Uh, they feed their sheep. They, they bring them to green pastures, says Psalm 23. They lead their sheep, sometimes through difficult places, but they're right there with them. And again, Psalm 23. Uh, yea, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil because the good shepherd is with us. Um, shepherds protect their sheep from danger. David talks about chasing after lions and bears to track down uh, uh, one of his sheep. And yet there's more subtle dangers as well for sheep. There's poisonous plants or wandering off, uh, and the shepherds would protect them from those things as well. To shepherd, it's, it's more personal than, than management, Right? And yet, and it's less controlling than micromanagement. Um, Peter explains it's it, it, is, it as exercising oversight. Well, what does that mean? What is oversight? Um, lots of things can fall under that general sort of mode of leadership. Uh, the word implies watching over someone. And again, this highlights knowing the sheep. If you're watching over them, you've got to know them to watch over them. It's probably one of the greatest challenges of shepherding today, uh, one of. Uh, You know, once upon a time, people uh, tended to be born, grow up, get married, have kids, grow old, and die in the same town. And the elders of a given church could get to know their sheep over years of living and working and playing beside them. But our culture, of course, is much more transient, much more private, uh, and the elders uh, are not called to be busybodies, of course, but they do need to know their sheep. The writer of Hebrews says, we are keeping watch over your souls. That means our goal as elders is to know you all well enough uh, that we know your, your strengths, we know your weaknesses, we know your suffering, we know your sins. To be honest, that's a high bar. But I think only then can we exercise the oversight that, that the way Scripture calls us to. Of course uh, I personally, I would ask for your patience in that. Uh, And also your help, right? The more we grow as a church, the harder it is to know everyone well. If there is something going on in your life, uh, you you should bring it to us. Please bring it to us. Bring us in. Help us to be in the know. Uh, Let us in and we will do our best to shepherd you well in the midst of it. Uh, So that's that's the what? That's the role of the, the shepherd. Shepherding the flock, the role of the elder. Shepherding the flock, exercising oversight, caring for the sheep. Well, what about the who? Uh, who are servant lead, leaders to shepherd? Peter says, the flock of God that is among you. Uh, now, first and foremost, uh, the most important thing to say here is that elders shepherd the flock of God. Uh, that, that is, this church is not my church. Uh, Now, we all might say that in one sense, Uh, the the possessive pronoun means different things at different times. So, you know, you might say, what time does your church service start? Oh, my church starts at 1030. And in this sense, the possessive means the church to which I belong. But the church itself belongs to God. The church does not belong to me. It does not belong to the elders. It belongs to God. And this is important because it, it actually means that shepherds are not owners, but stewards which means we are accountable for how we shepherd. Again, the writer of Hebrews highlights this in what I think is the scariest verse in the Bible, at least for church leadership, Hebrews thirteen seventeen, which says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. The elders of this church have to give an account for your souls on the day of judgment. That is terrifying to me. But that is because we shepherd not a soccer club or a running club or a generic nonprofit or a political organization. We shepherd the flock of God. Now, thankfully, Peter qualifies this twice here. He says, The flock of God that is among you, meaning uh, not the flock of God in Philadelphia or the, even the flock of God in Chicago but that which is among you. Or in verse 3, he qualifies it again, saying those in your charge, uh, more literally, your lot. Uh, According to Peter, you are my lot in life. Uh, For that, I'm both honored and a little bit terrified. Uh, There's an Old Testament equivalent here. The word lot is also inheritance. And uh, the Levites had no land inheritance because the Lord was their inheritance, their lot, their portion. And Peter is saying that the church is the lot, the portion of the elders. Uh, Paul uses similar language when he's exhorting the Ephesian elders in Acts 20. He says, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God which he, ordained, he obtained with his own blood. And I, I think the point of both Peter and Paul in part is this. Any given elder is not responsible for the whole church of God. <laughs> you know, all people of God everywhere in every place. Uh, but the one in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, the, the flock of God that is among you, those in your charge. This, by the way, uh, is one of the reasons that I think church membership is so important. Uh, especially in our day when there's a church on every corner and uh, people church shop endlessly. uh, Which Christians am I responsible for? Well, primarily this body, uh, those who are members then of this body. So what does servant leadership look like? Uh, What is the role? Well, it's it's shepherding or oversight. Uh, Who are the servant leaders to shepherd? Who who, who are the shepherds to shepherd, the flock of God that is among them, That the particular body, the particular church in which the Holy Spirit has made us overseers? Okay, what about how? How are servant leaders to shepherd? Uh, as I said a, a moment ago, there are all kinds of tips and tricks of leadership out there, and elders could benefit from them, I guess, as much as anyone, but Peter doesn't give us a list of tips. He doesn't address the method of leadership so much as the manner Uh, The most important thing is not the mechanics of leadership, not the technique, but the attitude and the character of the one leading. And so Peter here tells us three things about the attitude of leadership in the church. He says, elders are to shepherd without compulsion, greed, or tyranny. First elders are to shepherd without compulsion. In 1 Peter 5, 2, he says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. And uh, th- there are lots of reasons why someone might feel compelled to enter into leadership in the church. Uh, maybe it just seems like the right thing to do or, or others are pressing it upon him or, or his, his wife or his family think it's a good idea. Uh, sometimes one might think, well, it's just my turn. I've, you know, everybody else has been an elder. I need to be an elder too. Um, but Peter essentially says, look, these are all bad reasons uh, to be an elder. If you feel externally compelled to enter into eldership, something's probably wrong. Paul says in 1 Timothy 3.1, this saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. See, there should be some level of willingness and sometimes even aspiration This is a good thing. Of course, aspiration, though, to the office of elder could be for the wrong reasons. And so Peter says, second, elders are to shepherd without greed. Peter says, uh, not only shepherd willingly, but also not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Uh, You know, money can be a tremendous motivator for people, uh, but it should never be the motivator for serving in the church. The elder must be eager to do his work, not to get something from his work. And there are lots of of motives one might have, right, to to gain authority or to get get money or to be in the spotlight. Those are all bad motives. One must be eager to do the work of shepherding itself. Any other motives uh, might derail the work of the shepherd. Something else becomes more important than the sheep. The sheep become a means to an end. Of my agenda. And as God railed against the shepherds of Israel, they they fed on the sheep rather than feeding the sheep. Right? They were trying to get something out of the sheep rather than caring for them. Now, I guess I need to point out uh, that this doesn't mean that elders and pastors can't be paid. Uh, Jesus said of those in ministry, the laborer deserves his wages. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9. Who serves as a soldier at his own expense or who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? Paul quotes uh, the law of Moses and says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, Paul says, is it too much if we reap material things from you? And in fact, the warnings in the New Testament about not teaching for gain may be precisely because teachers were starting to be paid, which led to the temptation to go into church leadership for the money rather than for the work itself. Well, elders are to shepherd without compulsion and without greed, not not for shameful gain, not, not to get something, Uh, But for the sake of the work itself, willingly and eagerly they are to pursue the work of shepherding. Finally, elders are to shepherd without tyranny. Uh, Peter exhorts us, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. And then verse 3, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Elders are not dictators, but shepherds. Not kings, but servant leaders. Uh, God has given elders real authority in the church, but it's the authority of stewards who are given charge of something by the owner. God is the owner of all, which means we are called to care for that which has been entrusted to us, which, according to Hebrews, is your souls, and to give an answer for that to God. Now, the way one cares for the souls of others is not through domination. Often our picture of authority and leadership is of one who is served by those under him. Whenever people talk about being king for a day or queen for a day, we think, how great would that be for people to wait on you hand and foot, to have no worries or concerns? But true authority and leadership is not about being served by those under you, but about serving those under your care. If you are entering into any position, any position of leadership and think, oh good, now I get to make all the decisions, you probably shouldn't be in charge. You're not ready for leadership until you feel that the, the weight, the, the burden of leadership. You're not ready for leadership. Right? Leadership is a, a weight of responsibility for others, not a right to use them for your own ends. Peter contrasts domination with being examples to the flock. And uh, think about this simple, humble, unexciting mode of leadership. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. And as leaders in the church, that that should be able to be our exhortation as well. Uh, Now, don't follow me in my sin, of course, but follow me in my confession, my repentance, as well as my faith in Christ, rest in His grace, when I do that well, which is not always Elders are to demonstrate what it means to walk by faith. We, we don't always do that well. We are all saints struggling to overcome sin. But as elders, the struggle, in some sense, needs to be public so that others can see the Christian life in us. What this means is not only do we need to know you, but you need to know us. We need to have a willingness to, to, we need to, have a willingness to let people in to be vulnerable and share our sin and weakness so that we can point to God's mercy and power, so that we can be examples of struggling through the Christian life. So what does servant leadership look like while shepherding the flock, exercising oversight? Uh, Who are servant leaders to shepherd? The, The flock of God that is among them. How are servant leaders to shepherd? Without compulsion, greed, or tyranny, but as examples to the flock of those who need grace and know where to get it. And finally, why? Uh, Why are servant leaders to shepherd? Uh, Motives, of course, are always tricky things. What, What determines whether something is sinful or not is not always the behavior itself. Sometimes it's the motive, right? Not just what did you do, but why? And we might think that the motives of a leader ought to be purely altruistic, right? That elders should be motivated out of love for the flock, and that's true as far as it goes, But there's actually another motive that should grip the heart of every shepherd, and it's found in verse 4. In verse 4, Peter says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. What is the primary motive that Peter addresses here for shepherding well? The return of Christ and his commendation on that day. The longing to hear those glorious words, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. Elders are stewards of the church, stewards of grace, and when our master returns, he will hold us accountable for our stewardship. And We will have no boast on that day. We will say we are but unworthy servants. We have only done what we ought, but oh, to hear the Father's commendation, well done, good and faithful servant. Jesus tells us we ought to store up treasures in heaven. Peter here refers to our Father's commendation as a crown. Our hope is not a a physical crown, but in what the image represents, our Father's approbation, His approval. Again, not that we earn our Father's love by our effort. Of course, we are forgiven and declared righteous only because of the righteousness of Christ given to us and received by faith alone. We are declared right because Jesus was right. And our status before the Father is based on the status of Jesus. But God not only gives us the right status of Jesus, He actually works in us the right character of Jesus as well. And it's His work, the Spirit at work in us. But we are called to work that out in time and in space. And as we do, we are commended by our Father. Of all that we will experience in glory... I think that there will be little that is more glorious than to know the approval of our Father. That we are accepted in Christ, on the one hand, and that our Father delights in us as we struggle to serve Him. So we've looked at the the what and the who and the how and the why of the servant shepherd. And, of course, if you're not sure, if you're still wondering uh, about this, understanding of leadership, well, just just look at Jesus, the chief shepherd. It's clearly, this model of leadership, this understanding of leadership is clearly following in the footsteps of Jesus. Consider the way that he leads, right? Jesus comes as a great shepherd of the sheep for his sheep, whom he says the Father has given him. He comes not to be served, but to serve. His leadership is sacrificial, giving himself as a ransom for many, bearing sin as our sacrificial lamb. He does this for the joy set before Him, part of which is the Father's approbation, which He receives in the resurrection, where the Father demonstrates His approval of the work of His Son. And how does Christ the Lord, our shepherd, walk us through the valley today? Well, in part, He gives us His Spirit that He would be with us always, but among other things, through under-shepherds, as they willingly and eagerly model what it means to sojourn through the valley looking forward to Christ's return and our eternal reward. This brings us to our final point then. Uh, We've looked at the necessity of addressing servant leaders and the shepherding ministry of servant leaders. Briefly, let's talk about the beauty of submission to servant leaders. Uh, Peter says in verse 5, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Peter calls those who are younger to submission. Now, this may be particularly because it's often those who are younger who struggle here. But, of course, it's a call for the whole church. The writer of Hebrews, again, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, That would be of no advantage to you. Submission never means, of course, to minimize your personhood or to become a slave. We've already said it's the leaders who are the chief servants in the church. But submission does mean a willingness to follow, to to submit to the decisions of another in the areas in which they have authority. And now if your leaders are, are truly seeking your good as those who serve and not seeking their own good as those who are served if they take your needs into account and even ask for your input when appropriate, if they love you and care for you, if they know you and you know them, and they feed you week by week, this becomes easier. But of course, submission is always tested when one disagrees. Uh, That's where the rubber meets the road of submission in any circumstance. Submission never means going along as long as you agree. That's not submission. That's just agreement. Submission is when you're willing to go along, even though you disagree, because you are honoring the one who is leading. Now, of course, all of this, shepherding and submission, happens in the context of humility. This final exhortation in uh, verse 5 is for everyone, not just elders, uh, not just youngers, right? but everyone in the church is called to humility. The shepherds must shepherd in humility. The flock must submit in humility. Uh, Why? Well, because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Uh, Again, we see this in Jesus. Uh, The one who was in very nature God who could have claimed the universe as his own, but he became a servant and suffered for sin and humbled himself to the point of death. But God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name so that at, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so as verse 6 says, whether shepherding servant or submissive saint, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that at the proper time he may exalt you. Let's pray to that end. Our Father, we confess that uh, whatever we do is often tainted with our, our pride pride uh, our unwillingness to humble ourselves before you and one another. And we just we pray for humility, Father. We pray that you would grant us the humility of Jesus, uh, work in us his image in that way, uh, that we would walk before you in the church as humble people, awaiting the time when you will exalt us on the last day at the resurrection. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.